You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Friday, November 25th, 2022. Thanksgiving weekend, 6.58am. Riverside, California, a small cul-de-sac in Price Court. It was a quiet morning that Friday. Most families were still asleep, having enjoyed great food and company the previous evening, Thanksgiving. The weekend for most would be more of the same, eating well, relaxing and spending time together. Just before 7am, a a red Kia Soul parks up in the area and a man wearing a tan-coloured trench coat, a black fedora and face mask, carrying a black duffel bag and a plastic bag, gets out. He walks around the area for a while, standing outside a house for a moment, before going back to the car and driving off. He does the same thing twice. One of the neighbours thought it looked so weird, she called the Riverside Police's non-emergency line to report the licence plate but whoever it was hadn't actually done anything, so all they could do was make a note of it. Two hours later, 9am. Michelle Blandon was just on her way out of the house when she got a call from her mother, Sherry. Sherry was panicked and talking fast. She said that a detective was in the house and wanting to talk to her 15-year-old granddaughter, Michelle's niece. He said something had happened near the school and it was very urgent that he get hold of her. 65-year-old Sherry lived in the home with her husband, 69-year-old Mark, a volunteer high school softball and baseball coach, her daughter, 38-year-old Brooke, and Brooke's two young girls. Everyone's minds were racing. Had the teen done something wrong? Was she in trouble? Was he going to take her to the station? Sherry said it was just her and Mark in the house, as Brooke had taken her girls out. The officer said he would have to wait until they came home and interview everyone separately. It seemed really serious. Michelle was baffled and worried, but reassured her mother it was probably nothing and to try and stay calm. Sherry asked the detective if it was okay for Brooke's other daughter to get dropped off at Michelle's house while they sorted everything out, and he agreed. All everyone could do was wait until the teen came home with Brooke. The detective told Sherry that he needed to talk to the adults first, and the teen would have to wait in the car once she got there along with both hers and Brooke's phones. Michelle's heart started to beat fast, and the anxious feeling she had was growing. None of this felt right or normal, not even close. But Michelle knew her mom wouldn't have opened the door for anyone, let alone let someone in. He was an officer, he had a badge and the authority to go in, and everything would be fine. A few minutes later, Brooke arrived at her house to drop off her niece, and Michelle watched as Brooke and her 15-year-old daughter drove off to Price Court. Michelle called Sherry back and said they were on their way over and asked if everything was okay. Sherry's voice was shaky and she was fighting back tears. She said the detective was still in the house, but before she could say anything else, he took the phone off her. Calming and reassuring, he said, I'm here with your mom. She is kind of being anxious and freaking out. Everything is going to be okay. It's all okay. He passed the phone back over and Michelle strained to hear what was being said. She heard the detective say as part of the investigation that he needed to search the teen's room. The room with the Green Bay Packers memorabilia, he said. Michelle felt sick. 
How on earth did he know what the inside of her family's house looked like? But before she could say anything to her mother, Sherry said, I'll call you back, and the line went dead. There was nothing Michelle could do but wait, so she tried to shake it off and headed out into town. Brooke finally pulled up and went inside, her daughter staying in the car as per the officer's instructions. A short while later, Michelle sent a text to her mom asking for an update. She got no reply. 11.08am. 911 dispatchers received a call requesting that a welfare check be carried out at Price Court. A couple of residents were concerned as they had watched a man leaving a house with a much younger girl who was very distressed. She had no shoes on and was subtly trying to mouth words at people watching, although they couldn't tell what she was trying to communicate. The pair walked towards a red Kia Soul which was parked on someone's drive. The same person's drive, in fact, that had reported the car's licence plates just a few hours earlier. As the pair approached the car, the owner of the house opened the door and shouted at the man that he couldn't park there. The man was very apologetic and said he was leaving. He opened the back passenger side door and the girl got inside. He then walked around to the back door on the driver's side and put the black duffel bag inside. As he turned around, the neighbour saw some red spots on his clothes, which looked like blood, but she couldn't be sure. Although the girl wasn't physically forced into the car, something was very troubling about the situation. Before the man shut the doors, the girl quietly whispered, help me, and the car sped away. Michelle, who was still out in town, then got a Facebook message from a neighbour of her parents. Please call me ASAP, it read. A few minutes later, more calls came flooding into the Riverside Police Department. A house was on fire at Price Court. It was Mark and Sherry's. Michelle jumped in the car with her husband and they started heading across town. She was calling her mom, dad and sister repeatedly, but no one was picking up. At Price Court, authorities were now there and tackling the blaze. The windows were starting to smash because of the heat and the roof was caving in. As firefighters made it inside, they found the bodies of Mark, Sherry and Brooke lying closely together near the front door. They all had plastic bags over their heads and were bound and gagged. They were already dead, and their neighbours watched in horror as they were pulled from the home. Michelle and her husband pulled up to her parents' house just after this, and Michelle tried to run through the tape as the police dragged her back. Her parents' and sisters' cars were still parked outside, and although it was too early to tell who had been inside, Michelle soon heard that several bodies had already been carried out. As a shaken Michelle headed to the station with the police, other officers were trying to track down the red Kia. Michelle told them about the strange phone calls that morning and the detective inside her parents' house. She said there was no way the man would have got inside the house without showing some form of ID. Sherry would never have let him in without this, no matter what he said. Police were still not confirming anything, but when Michelle told them about her father's two tattoos on each arm, a Green Bay Packers logo on his left and a Notre Dame mascot on his right, she was faced with a situation that she had somehow been trying to rationalise and come up with excuses for. Her mother, father and sister were inside the house and her niece was now missing. 
On Friday morning, Riverside police were called to the home for a disturbance. Shortly afterwards, neighbors reported a fire in the home, and firefighters made the grisly discovery. The details of this will just break your heart. I mean, it is absolutely gut-wrenching. This is the home where the fire happened and where the triple homicide happened. And friends came by earlier today to light the candles again as the sun disappeared into the night. This is still a crime scene investigation, one of three. And next door, the lady had just taken her turkey out of the refrigerator the day after Thanksgiving, walked in the backyard for a second and saw the smoke in the back of the house and went to the front and saw flames coming out. That's when she called 911 on her next door neighbors, who she says were more like family, the most loving people, she said, you could ever meet. Every neighborhood needs a Winnick family because they just were the all-American, loving, caring, supporting family that you can ever ask for. Um, it's been really hard on this neighborhood, and thankfully we've met some amazing people here, but it's it's been, as you can imagine, so hard on this community. They have lived here for 22 years. Despite people wondering if the fire had caused their deaths, an autopsy would later reveal that Mark, Sherry and Brooke had all likely died of asphyxiation. They had been bound and gagged before plastic bags were put over their heads and Brooke's throat had been slashed. Mark was killed first and they could see from the injuries that Brooke had really tried hard to fight off the attacker. Three of the family's dogs would also die in the fire, along with their pet bird. Their fourth dog, which had been in the backyard at the time, survived and went into a shelter whilst a new home was found. For the small, quiet community and everyone that knew the family, it was impossible to believe that anything like this could happen on their doorsteps. Around the same time all of this was going on, over 2,000 miles away in Virginia, a woman was filing a missing persons report. Her boyfriend of five years had taken off and now she couldn't get hold of him. The couple had been celebrating Thanksgiving together in San Diego for a few days with her parents when he suddenly started packing to leave. He said he had run out of vacation time and needed to drive back to Virginia where he had just purchased a house. But the drive would take over a day and this hadn't been their plan. Little did she know, he hadn't set off to Virginia. He had set off for Riverside, California and she would soon realise it was her boyfriend that was now on the run with the missing 15-year-old girl. Using the licence plate the neighbour had previously given them, police in Riverside were finally able to track down the red Kia as it was heading into Kelso, an unincorporated area of San Bernardino County, on a totally empty and rural road far away from anything. They caught up to the car and a SWAT team and helicopter were in pursuit. The man finally pulled over and jumped out of the car, firing his gun. He showed no signs of backing down. A shootout ensued with the man as the girl ran from the car. In a matter of seconds, the driver was dead and the teen was with the police. Most reports state that he had turned the gun on himself, but some say he was killed by police fire. The 15-year-old, who to this day has never been named, was alive and unharmed. She was taken into protective custody before they began interviewing her. She and her sister also began a lengthy process of trauma counselling and a GoFundMe raised over $100,000 which would be given to the girls. Upon hearing that she had been found alive, Michelle commended the neighbour for being so diligent in reporting the number plate and for persisting they look into it. She believes it absolutely saved her niece's life. The man who had kidnapped her and killed her family was 28-year-old Austin Lee Edwards, 
are serving Virginia State Deputy Sheriff. To the authorities' surprise, the teen said she did actually know Austin, having met him online, but he was not the person she thought he was. The pair had started speaking on Omegle, a free online chat site that allows people to socialise with others without the need to register or create an account. The site randomly pairs users in one-on-one chat sessions where they talk anonymously using the names you and stranger. She had been honest about her age, but Austin had told her that he was 17. It is unknown what, if any, pictures he was using or who he was pretending to be. The police couldn't determine how long they had actually been talking for or how he had got hold of her address. But at some point, Austin had asked her for photographs that were sexual in nature. She said after this, she stopped talking to him. Detectives theorised that maybe he killed her family in retaliation or he thought that if he kidnapped her, he could stop her from talking to anyone. They also couldn't rule out the possibility that he did have some explicit photos of her and maybe this was an attempt at sextortion. His messages showed he was clearly obsessed and was going to stop at nothing, but with more than one million pages of social media content to go through, it was safe to say the full story would take some time to come to light. A huge showing of support for the three family members killed inside this home. You can see the candles and flowers left after the vigil that happened out here with this community that is left in mourning. They are heartbroken and detectives are still trying to piece together everything that happened. A community gathers outside the Winnick family home on Price Court in Riverside. Neighbors holding vigil for the family killed the day after Thanksgiving. At the vigil, the victim's daughter thanked the community for all of its support. Thank you for being here, honoring my family, to see all of you out here supporting and giving us your strength. We really need it and we are really appreciative. Members of the Arlington High School baseball team among those at the home last night because Mark Winnick was their coach. The team tweeted out the world won't know what he meant to the team and other athletes and students who showed up said he touched their lives as well. Because we didn't have rides home after school. He would always talk to us for an hour and uh, I know he didn't like it but we'd always try to keep him away from baseball because you were so jealous because you guys kind of stole him from us. But um, we loved every second with him. Uh, one of my favorite memories is when my sister hit a walk-off and uh, he just gave my sister and I a big hug after the game. We are here to support her and the rest of their family um, to make sure that they have peace as they're going through this process of heartbreak and of a loss of not just one person, but three. Joy organized the candlelight vigil. She says Mark Winnick was a local coach and he always kept a watchful eye over the neighborhood. I just feel so much sorrow for the family and I wish I could do more and more and more. Investigators say after setting the home on fire, the suspect left with another relative. It's not clear if she went willingly, but the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department confirms she's now safe after a pursuit Friday afternoon near Needles. Deputies say the suspect was shooting at them, but eventually deputies shot and killed the suspect. Both agencies investigating this complicated case say they expect to release new information very soon. As for the family, I talked with a relative who says they will soon start fundraising for those three funerals.
The teen told police that morning that she had no idea what was going on as she and Brooke pulled up to the house. She said she had waited in the car following Brooke's instructions, but it ended up getting too hot. She took her shoes off and stood outside for some air before tentatively walking inside the house to see what was going on. As soon as she went through the door, the first thing she saw was her grandmother Sherry with a bag over her head and her hands tied. She was still moving slightly. Before she had time to process anything, Austin appeared and pointed a gun at her and ordered that she leave with him. It is unknown where he was driving her or what if any conversations took place in his car. And Austin was now dead and couldn't answer for himself. So who was he and what did they know about him? Exciting news for the Virginia State Police. The department is welcoming 58 new troopers. I'd like to remind you, graduates of the 135th basic session, we picked you because you're the best. You're the best. On Friday, the 135th class of the Virginia State Troopers were presented their diplomas during commencement at the State Police Training Academy. The new troopers have received 1,300 hours of classroom and field instruction in more than 100 different subjects. During the ceremony, Governor Glenn Youngkin spoke, saying that he's excited for the beginning in the Commonwealth with this new class of troopers. Austin Lee Edwards, Division One in Riker. 28-year-old Austin Edwards had joined the police academy in July 2021, and after graduating a year later, he went to Henrico County within the Richmond Division of Virginia. He resigned from the department after a couple of months, but no reason could be given for him leaving, as it was not in his personnel file. A month after leaving, Austin was still associated with the Washington County Sheriff's Office and stepped into the patrol division as a Virginia State Deputy Sheriff. A little under two weeks before he drove to California, in a small town of less than 2,000 people, Austin had purchased a new home. Neighbours said he was friendly and they felt safe around him, knowing he was a police officer, feeling a certain level of protection from him. Austin spent a lot of time blacking out all the windows in his home, but less than 10 days after moving in, Austin Lee Edwards, the Winnicks and their pets would all be dead in another state. And now to developing news out of Riverside. It was last week when three family members were found murdered and their homes set ablaze in Riverside. Investigators say the murders were linked to a catfishing scheme carried out by a 28-year-old Virginia law enforcement officer. The suspect, Austin Edwards here, allegedly portrayed himself as a teenager to develop an online relationship with the teen daughter of one of the murder victims. He then reportedly drove across the country to meet the girl and is then accused of murder murdering her mother and two grandparents and trying to abduct her as well. Never imagined anything, you know, like this and was actually very, very happy to have an officer living behind me. You know, I felt safe. According to Smith County, Virginia records, Edwards also recently purchased a home in Saltville from Jacob Gordon. I had the house on the market for just a few hours and, you know, I got a full price offer and, you know, was told it was a Virginia State Trooper. He was only behind me for about eight days. Um, you know, he was actually very nice, accommodating. He offered to help me on my home. After purchasing the home, it appears he blacked out windows and put up dark curtains. I thought it was really weird. And then, of course, the owner told me also that uh, he required that they sent the video of the basement 
I mean, he didn't see the per- property before he purchased it, but he required a video of the basement, which seemed really weird to us. Um, and, of course, the guy who lived in front of him that I know, he said that he had a very strange presence, that the guy was very weird, ke- creepy, kept in his house. He didn't get out a lot. Short time here, he'd already set off alarms. Gordon still processing the news out of California. It still doesn't feel real. It's something you you never dream of. Any of us are impressionable. You can imagine back when you were 15, it's just, you trust people and it's just a different world out there and people have to realize that. This guy's a monster, he's a predator. We believe at this point that this suspect was the only one involved in the murders and in setting the fire. The online deception, catfishing, other techniques happens daily. It's probably going on right now somewhere in the country, in our county. As much as being a parent isn't fun sometimes, I have been there, uh, you've got to check their devices. Um, Put filters, you know, have parental controls on these things. We don't even feel comfortable uh, uh, affiliating him with law enforcement because that's not what someone in law enforcement is about. As the investigation was unravelling, over in Washington, one woman was scrolling aimlessly on Instagram when she landed on a picture that made her freeze. It was a photo of Austin. Not only was the story his face was attached to horrific, she had her own story from years ago. She had met Austin on Omegle too. He was 20, she just 13, and he had groomed, stalked and harassed her for years. She almost threw up when she saw him. I read the whole story and it made me feel disgusting, she said. Seeing everything that had happened to the Winnick family over in California, the now 21-year-old took her story to the police and was able to offer up almost 4,000 messages between the pair from years ago. Austin had started off sweet and chatty and she told him right away that she was 13, but this did not deter him from talking to her. He soon started asking for nude photographs and told her he loved her. He often spoke about hurting himself as a way of release. On one occasion, he insisted she join him on Skype. I can't yet, she told him. Why's that, he replied. Because my mom, she said. Kill her. I'm gonna give myself a black eye, okay? He replied. Listen, there's no obstacle that's gonna stop us from being together, if that's what we both want. It doesn't even matter if you're 14 and not technically allowed to do shit yet, he said. She eventually cut ties with him, but this didn't stop him trying to get hold of her. Another thing that the messages brought to light was something serious that had happened in 2016. The Virginia state police officer who kidnapped a 15-year-old girl in Riverside and killed her family had a glaring red flag on his record that apparently was not detected by Virginia authorities. Two weeks after the teen had told him she didn't want to talk to him, Austin had been detained for psychiatric evaluation after threatening to take his own life and kill his father. Police had been called to the home by Austin's dad, Christopher. They found him trying to restrain Austin on the kitchen floor, which was covered in blood, and Christopher had bite marks all over his arms. Police pulled out a taser, but Christopher said he could handle it, still trying to protect his son. Eventually, Austin was handcuffed, strapped to a stretcher and checked into a hospital. He said he had had an argument with his girlfriend and was lashing out his girlfriend being the 14-year-old who was trying to get away from him. Despite blocking him on every account, he made new ones and always found a way to reach her. The harassment went on for years until she was 18, when it all abruptly stopped. It is unknown whether this coincided with meeting the 15-year-old online, 
but investigations show the timings match up for this to be a possibility. Upon sending him to a mental health hospital in 2016, the judge said there was a substantial likelihood, as a result of mental illness, he will, in the near future, seriously harm himself or suffer harm. The incident also prompted the judge to strip him of his gun rights. Under Virginia law, anyone who is held on a temporary detention order and later admitted to a treatment facility is not allowed to buy or possess a firearm until that right has been restored by the courts. His gun rights were never restored. On his application to the academy, Austin disclosed that he had voluntarily checked himself into a mental health facility, which meant he had to undergo a mental health evaluation and exam. He failed. Austin used his father, a close friend, and his Virginia State Police Field Training Officer as references for the academy. And, despite the failed evaluations, and the fact the court had taken his gun rights away, he was still accepted. The Virginia State Police deliberately buried the results of this mental health examination, did no further examination into this aspect of Edwards' application, and hired him, a notice said. Arte Savido, the interim police chief for the Aurora, Colorado Police Department, and a nationally recognised policing expert, said, I'd have to ask a lot of questions about why he's moving so quickly. That's pretty unusual for someone to go through academy and all of a sudden turn around and leave. He said most departments would be unlikely to hire Austin after such a brief work history unless he enrolled in their own police academy. With all of this coming to light, Michelle and her family wanted answers, but they weren't getting any. The Washington County Sheriff said, It is shocking and sad to the entire law enforcement community that such an evil and wicked person could infiltrate law enforcement while concealing his true identity as a computer predator and murderer but the Virginia State Police said he didn't ever display any red flags. He was the nicest person and loved helping people in his job. They said he had no reprimands, no complaints, no instances of use of force levied, no internal investigations and no disciplinary investigations. Michelle said that not one department ever apologised or even acknowledged them for a period of time. Good morning and thank you for everyone for being here today. My family and I truly appreciate the love and the compassion that we have received thus far in this trying time. If something like this horrific tragedy can happen here in our neighborhood, in our community, it can happen anywhere. In this tragic moment of our family, our grief, we hope some good will come from this. Parents, please, please know your child's online activity. Ask questions about what they are doing and whom they are talking to. Anybody can say they're someone else and you could be in this situation, which I do not want for the world. This horrific event started with an inappropriate online romance between a predator and a child. We have some solace that this person will never harm anyone again, but we also want to make it very clear that we do not applaud his death. This was an adult that traveled across the country to kidnap a 15-year-old girl, my niece, our niece, our family member. He took an oath to protect, and yet he failed to do so. Instead, he preyed on the most vulnerable. When you hear the term catfishing, you think of a long-running dating show or series about a national sports figure both glamorizing and sensationalizing online relationships. However, in this instance, 
catfishing led to the deaths of the three most important people in my life. Please, parents, guardians, when you are talking to your children about the dangers of their online actions, please use us as a reference. Tell our story to help your parenting, not out of fear, but out of example of something that did happen. There are no words for the gratitude we feel for the outpouring of support that we have received, and I know that we will continue to receive. From my two young nieces who are now left motherless, we hope that this community can wrap your arms around them and lift them up. They have the most difficult journey ahead as they are minors and they don't understand everything that has happened. We hope and we ask that this community continue to shelter them. Please positively support them. Eventually, Virginia State Police would issue a statement and say it was an isolated incident, adding, human error resulted in an incomplete database query during Edwards' hiring process. They said that if they knew about his past, he wouldn't have been hired. Riverside Police Chief Larry Gonzalez said, It's disturbing. It's disgusting. Anybody in the law enforcement community, we hate that person more than anybody because it's a reflection on us. This is yet another horrific reminder of the predators existing online who prey on our children. If you've already had a conversation with your kids on how to be safe online and on social media, have it again. If not, start now to better protect them. After all of these failings were highlighted, Governor Glenn Youngkin requested a full investigation be carried out by the state's watchdog agency. An agreement with the watchdog agency later allowed Virginia State Police to investigate themselves. Michelle and her family filed a notice of intent to sue in relation to the hiring process of Austin and the failures that had ensued. She said, we want to know why this person was able to get hired by not one but two agencies, and given a firearm when he couldn't legally buy one. Her attorneys said Austin's employers demonstrated negligence, gross negligence, negligent and gross negligent hiring, breach of mandatory duties, and other violations of Virginia state law. They argued that the family's damages exceeded $100 million. Even though Austin is now dead and cannot give anyone any information, police say they are continuing to look into his past, his laptop and his phones to determine if he has any more victims and piece together more of his story. But with so many pages of messages from only two people so far, police say they could be unravelling things for years and might never know the full truth. Mark, Sherry and Brooke, along with their beloved pets, died in the most frightening of ways, terrified and trying to protect each other. Michelle said... They all lived and loved selflessly. Mark was dearly loved by the kids he coached, and he left a big impact on many, with some saying he shaped their futures and what they wanted to do when they were older. He would always make sure he checked on them from time to time, to see if everything was going well for them in college. The school paid tribute to him as well. His neighbours said he was someone that never stopped and loved being busy. He would offer to mow people's lawns to help them out and to pass the time. Sherry loved nothing more than being with her family. Celebrations like Thanksgiving and Christmas were her favourite times of year, when everyone could just be together and she would bake cakes and cookies for her children and grandchildren. 
We had a family debate and it got heated on if the brownies my mum made should be frosted with sprinkles or just left plain, Michelle said. Little did I know, on that day, that would be the last time my husband and I would see my parents and sister again. Brooke was a single parent, and Michelle said her biggest joys in life were watching her two girls grow, and collecting Starbucks cups, Michelle laughed. Brooke was telling everyone that her daughter had joined the colour guard at school, and nothing made her prouder than watching her. For the girls and Michelle who were left behind, it is impossible to imagine how they must find each day. Celebrations such as birthdays, Christmas and Thanksgiving will never be the same, and what should be such a happy time to be with each other will always serve as a painful reminder of what was taken from them. In a touching tribute, Price Court in Riverside was ceremoniously renamed Winnick Court and is placed next to the Winnicks' home. Eric, Mark's nephew and godson, said, Mark and Sherry's pride and joy were their kids and by extension their grandchildren. You never saw them beam so brightly than when they were around their family. <laughs>